Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we get to hear from one of the classic rock chicks ever. It is Juliana Hatfield. Now, I think most people remember Juliana Hatfield. She's been around for like 30 years, doing her thing all along. But what's really interesting is that the last like five to 10 years has been wildly prolific. And I hope, I hope long-term fans are okay. That's mostly what we talk about in here. In fact, this Friday, she's putting out her second album of 2019, believe it or not, and it is an album of police covers. It is so good. We talk about it here at the very beginning. You're going to hear a lot of snippets of these cool tunes. Last year, you may remember, she got a lot of publicity because she put out an album of Olivia Newton-John uh, covers, and that was great, too. The year before that, she put out an album called Pussycat. That's an anti-Trump album. We talk about that. Just a little heads up for anyone who's sensitive to that topic. And uh, and that's just a few of them. I mean, there was this side project with Paul Westerberg called The I Don't Cares. That was so good. She also had another side project with Matthew Cause of Not A Surf called Minor Alps, which is also good. Anyway, tons of interesting stuff to talk about. We do talk about the early days a little bit. Uh, her being on the Reality Bites soundtrack. We talk about her friendship with Evan Dando. We talk about people that she toured with that we love, like Jeff Buckley and X. There's, a, there's some great information on X in here. Uh, we get into some of her favorite albums of all time, her favorite songs, all these kind of stuff, all these kinds of things. She has such a wonderfully unique personality. I love it. I hope she liked talking to me. I'm not 100% sure if she did, but I really enjoy talking to her. Now, because we don't get into the olden times very much, I thought I would throw you guys a bone. I want to play one of her classic tunes. This is Universal Heartbeat from her 90, 1995 album, Only Everything. So anyway, just a reminder of how great she has been for many, many years. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoy this conversation. She called me from her home in the Boston area. So uh, for starters, we got to talk about the new album. I um, this is you're on kind of a roll, and we're gonna. I want to talk. So by my count, I think in the last two years you've put out four albums, and in the mm -hmm. last four years you put out seven albums. And okay. so we may not even get to like the old days. We might just talk about new stuff. You're on this, you're on this string now of these out of nowhere, but fantastic covers albums. This one is the police. The obvious question is why this, why now, what, what inspired all of this? I, I think because I'm, I have been so prolific mm -hmm. of late, um, as of late, so what happens is I'll make an album of my own songs, and then at the end of it, I think, oh, I have nothing else to say. I've said it all. I've written enough songs. I've written all the songs, and I have absolutely nothing left to write about. So then that's when I turn to other people's songs. And then, I mean, that's lately, that's been what's been happening. And every time I make an album, I feel like I'm, I'm just depleted. I'm done. I'll never write another song. But I don't want to stop making music because... I like I love being in the studio. I love recording, and so I um, and recording other people's songs is um, really interesting for me yeah. and fulfilling. And so then I'll record some covers, and then I'll suddenly it suddenly uh, I feel I'll feel inspired to write again about things, and I I seem to always be able to find things to write about. So I think I've I've kind of uh, settled into this. Oh, well, I'm starting to settle into this pattern. I think I'm gonna. Um, continue it. It'll be an album of 
covers and then an album of my own songs. And nice. I, I'd like to I'd like to make the covers albums be become a series, an ongoing series. Yeah. Every album, every album focusing on a different artist. It's genius, and I mean, cover albums now are starting to become. I don't know. There, it's a. It's a kind of a hot new thing, and some people do it really well, like the Bird and the Bee, and some people it's garbage, like Rod Stewart. But yours are so <laughs> yours are so fun, and it's it's uh, it's artists you wouldn't expect, like Olivia Newton John and the Police. And I was wondering specifically when you go in, like when you listen to the Police, and you start you listen to something like Canary in a Coal Mine, and you think, you know what, I think I could do that better. Or do you think I've got a different spin on this? Or do you think I wonder how creative we could get with this? How what does what goes into the decision making process? You know. Well, it it depends on the song, really. Some songs like that one in particular, like Canary in a Coal Mine. I just thought I I want to sing the song. It's so fun to sing along mm-hmm. to it, right? Like I and I know the melody and the words so well. It's like I could do I could sing that song in my sleep. It just feels like so natural singing it. Um, so I just wanted to do it. And plus, I, I like the words. And yeah. it's that one's just like a really fun song. And I knew that I didn't need to totally reinvent it because um, I just changed it a little bit. But I have the confidence that doing it, even if I do it kind of close in style to the original, I know that I will make it my own just because mm-hmm. my... My voice is unique, and I have, you know, I have a slightly different way of mm-hmm. playing guitar. And then there are other songs that I feel like I can reimagine, like Murder by Numbers. I, I really changed that one a lot. I sped it up, and I punked it up, and...
it depends. On, I just kind of think song to song, I'll get inspiration for what I want to do with it. Okay. It's all very, it's all very intuitive. I don't have a grand plan ever. I just, yeah. I just, and it just has to be. The police were just a band that I loved when I was a teenager, and yeah. I love, you know, on all five of those albums, there were a whole bunch of great songs, and so I knew there was yeah enough enough from which to choose to make a whole album. Sure. Online. One of the songs that really <clears throat> stuck out to me was Next to You because uh-huh. your take on it is such a refreshing, different take on it. Sometimes, sometimes covers can be a little note for note. Yours are never like that. But I thought I really am digging what Juliana is doing with this particular song because it's so out of left field, but yet it works perfectly. I really like that one. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that one was that one kind of happened. Um, that one took a while. We did a first version, which was um, more. It was still slowed down to about half time, but it was more. It was like chugging rock, chugging rock chords. It was like, it was like a, I don't, I don't know what to compare it to, but it wasn't working. It was too, it was like, um, mm. dead sounding. Really? So then, Lifeless. Yeah. I knew, I knew, yeah, it was kind of sodden and it sounded like, like an eighties pop metal ballad, <laughs> like just not, it was just not taking flight in any way. And. Um, and so, but I knew I still liked it slowed down, and I just kind of like started again. I started. Mm-hmm. I put a drum machine on it, and I yeah. added my own drumming. Whereas before, it was a real quote unquote real drummer mm-hmm. playing a rock a rock beat. So I just mm-hmm. I just kind of reinvented that one from the ground up. All I knew really was I want to slow it down because because the original is so perfect. It's like the first song in the first album. It's just like smashed out of the gate and mm-hmm. just like kind of like exactly right and i yeah. knew that i didn't want to i didn't want to even approach anything resembling the original version because mm-hmm. it was just too it was already so perfect that there's nothing i could do with it at that 
I felt at that tempo and in that style. Yeah, I could see that. I, I have to ask, what is your favorite police song? And did you cover it for this album? My favorite? I don't know that I have a favorite. You know, it probably really? changes. It probably changes. Um, I probably recorded some of my... Uh, actually, there are some favorites that I didn't record. I, I love every little thing she does is magic, mm-hmm. but I I didn't... I didn't really know what, I didn't have any ideas for that one. Plus, I couldn't, I wanted to record the songs that were a little more dark lyrically, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't really relate to the, to the <laughs> subject matter at this point in my life and every little thing she does magic. I'm kind of post-love at this yeah, point. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> okay. But I, lo- I don't know, like Canary in a Coal Mine, really, I think that's one of my favorites. I love Good. that one. Okay. Um. That's one of mine too. My favorite yeah. police song is "The Bed's Too Big Without You," and yeah, uh, that's a good one. That's I don't know that you one, could have improved on it. I don't know that anyone could. I like it just the way it is. You know what I mean? Well, I can't. Well, again, like I can't relate to the subject matter right yeah. now. Like I, I love sleeping alone. Mm. <laughs> so I can't. I knew that I couldn't sing that one with any kind of like yeah authenticity like I, I just really love being single and i love having my own big bed to sleep in every oh, night that's nice um yeah. so let me this might be a hard question and if if it's too much you tell me we'll cut it out or whatever but one thing i was curious about when i uh you've been open in the in the past about things like depression or suicidal feelings or whatever like so many of us have and when i it was so interesting to me when i was listening to you <clears throat> sing can't stand losing you and there's that line in there about um, suicide. And, uh, you know, when Sting sings that line, it doesn't mean anything. It sounds flippant. You don't actually think Sting's yeah. going to commit suicide. But yeah. when I, when you sing that, given your history and how honest you are about your life and everything, it carries this weight that it never did before. And I wondered if you felt that, or am I reading too much into something? You know what I mean? Well, well, yeah, I think it's true that Sting was pretty clearly taking on the voice of a character yeah. that he had, invent- he had invented. Mm. Um, but I felt like I could sing it from my own perspective, or my own perspective from years ago when I was younger. I might have had that perspective. I mean, mm. I'm much happier 
now than I used Good. to be. Good. But I can, yeah, I can definitely. I mean, I've even written. I wrote a song for. I had an album called Bed, and there was a song mm-hmm. called um, Swan Song, and the chorus was "Dear Jack, I hate you, love Diane," which came, which came from a book of suicide notes. kind of morbid little book of collect real authentic collected suicide notes and one of them was just like dear john i hate you love mary and that was a suicide note so i just changed <laughs> i changed the names of jack and diane to, to reference the of course john cougar song so like what that was supposed to be like what happened to jack and diane after a couple of decades together they grew to hate each other and so Anyway, what was my point? What was, what was well, talking about just the weight that you bring oh, yeah, to yeah. the so, cover. So I had so I had a story, this song called Swan Song, which was all about this woman like taking revenge on her <laughs> boyfriend by killing herself. It's kind of actually horrible. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible so bit, yeah. <laughs> idea. So, but I actually, I myself have never been suicidal. Oh, okay. Actually, I've never been truly suicidal. Okay. I've been very, I had problems with depression. Sure. Many so, of us do. Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm over that now. I'm really like, like, that's kind of miles away from me now. And, um, that's great. But How? I, I was, yeah, How'd you I do that? Um, oh, it was a lot tips. of hard, <laughs> well, it was a lot of hard work. It was, um, doing, I did a lot of cognitive stuff, behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, training myself to not wallow in those periods and and also i just did a lot of things i got i moved out of new york city i got a puppy it's complicated but it, there were there were it was a lot of years of hard work and ultimately i really cured myself of depression yeah i, wow. I feel Good for that you. I, I actually, yeah i was successful i did it and I'm, I'm not afraid of ever going back there and i was i was on medication for one year Hmm. One year I was on Zoloft, which was kind of new at the time. Yeah. And after a year, when I was feeling better, I thought, like, I don't want to be on this drug forever Mm -hmm. because no one knows what the long-term effects are. And plus, I don't want it to be a crutch for me. Mm -hmm. And so after a year, I stopped and I never went back. Wow. Good for you. I was curious, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but, you know, a couple of years ago, you put out the album Pussycat, because like a lot of us, we're frustrated about the current 
president. And uh, so you talking about feeling really happy and doing really well uh, at a time like this, uh, that was, uh, I was really happy to hear you say that. How do you... Okay, I don't think, I'm not, I don't think I said I was really happy. I think I said... (laughs) Dealing with, maybe, okay, okay. I think I said I was happier, happier than I used to be. I mean, I was really miserable. When I was in my 20s, I was miserable. Okay. Also in my 30s. So it took a couple of decades of, of um, prolonged mm. misery to, you know, I had to sort of like get through that. Um, but yeah, I'm in a much better place now. But I forget what your question was. What well, was I was I was mentioning. Oh yeah, uh, the state of the world. State of the world. Yeah, state of the world. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm as angry and as disgusted as anyone by what's going on right now. Like I, I mean, I have, I have these flare-ups of rage. You know, mm. just like I'm trying to pace my rage. Mm. But yeah, it's like there's a lot of ugliness out there, a lot of just like um, horrible, you know, dishonesty, mm-hmm. corruption. It's raw. It's all out there, and I'm as horrified as the next guy. Yeah, yeah. Just but personally, I'm not. I mean, like now I have real, concrete reasons for being, for feeling bad. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's all. It's not all internal. It's not coming from inside of myself it's coming from outside of myself like i have actual real targets to be angry at at this point and i'm not directing all the angry at anger at myself anymore good good for you i was uh i was listening back over to pussycat to get ready to talk to you and i thought you know we hear a lot where are like the protest songs you know where are the punk anthems if everybody, where is it? It's <laughs> like we need. Sorry, I keep we, interrupting. No, you're. That's what. That's my point. Yes. Where are the people? Where is the art or the music? Where is the rage? Where is the rage against the machine? Two thousand nine. Right. Right. And your what your Pussycat album is maybe the best example that I can find these days. You know.
but it's not sad that uh, it's 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 like the why aren't there more? I yeah. I think I do think that some um, popular artists are afraid of alienating their corporate sponsors and their audiences. You know, like they, it's there. That's a real fear that some people have. I think uh, they want to maintain their high standard of living. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of fearful artists out there. They want to just hold on to their money. Yeah. But just like the corrupt politicians want to hold on to their money and the power elite wants to hold on to their money at any cost. And I'm not saying that all, I'm not holding that against any artists. No. You know, if I had that kind of money and power, I might want to be careful too, be more careful. Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have written a song like Rhinoceros if I had, (laughs) you know, if I had a lot of people that I was supporting financially, I wouldn't want to risk, you know, their livelihood. Yeah. It's like where's where's the Rage Against the Machine of today? Where are they? Where, am I, I just know. not aware of them? I know that's what I want. Do I too. have to be? Do I have to make another Pussycat album? I mean, I think I'm going to because how, how can I not? What else is there to write about? <laughs> well, it's either that or cover songs, right? Right. Or escape. Yeah, I'm escaping into covers. Yeah. That make me that make me happy. But it is kind of escapism doing yeah. the covers. Well, I would imagine. Going back to how prolific you are, it must maybe uncap some kind of creativity within you because, like I said, these are these are independent works of art. It's you're taking a song as maybe a template and then expanding on it by by a lot, and not everyone does that when they do these covered albums. So I I enjoy them. Can you let us in? Is it a total secret what you think the next one might be? Uh, I have a couple of ideas, but I haven't. Okay. Complete. I haven't decided, so I don't really want to. Okay. That's okay. Say yet. Yeah. But I, I do think that I did an Australian, and then I did an English mm. band. So I think the next one should be an American band. Okay. Okay. I think. Okay. So that's a hint. A hint, maybe. <laughs> okay. I was curious. Uh, that the Olivia Newton John album was also so much fun.
Did she ever reach out to you? Did you ever talk to her about it or anything? I didn't speak to her personally, but um, there were a couple of really nice, gracious tweets acknowledging oh. it and um, thanking me for contributing. We Because we were um, um, giving a dollar from the sale of each album to her, to the Olivia and John Center for mm. um, her charity for cancer research mm-hmm. and wellness and so they were her her people were aware that we were doing that so they were they were aware of the project and they were just very gracious and nice about it like nice about posting news about it on her website and stuff like that yeah good but okay. no, i've never I've never met her personally hmm we that should happen i mean you you know it's such a love letter we got to figure out how to make that happen don't you think well I mean, I don't need for that to happen. Mm, it's not, okay, okay. My aim is not to have, to, not to get personal access to these artists. Okay. It's really, it's really just to um, show and share my love. Yeah. All. Okay. Um, we talk on here sometimes very sensitively about the business side of things, and you had mentioned money came up a minute ago. Are you able to support yourself as a professional musician the way that you're doing it? I know you're very independent, you know, putting things out on your own label at your own pace and everything like that. Are you, you know, you can pay your bills, you can pay the rent, you can go on a vacation once in a while, everything okay that way? I've been I've been lucky to be able to make a living at it. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm not I'm not living large. I'm not I'm I'm thrifty, you know, I can't yeah. Um, sometimes it gets a little dicey, but uh-huh. I've been, I've been able, I've been able to keep it going. Yeah, it's, good. It's great. It's, good. I feel very, I feel feel very fortunate. Although you know, I'm not, I'm not driving a Rolls Royce or anything. Not that I would ever buy a fancy car if I could afford <laughs> one. I would never, I would never, for example, buy a Rolls Royce or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> I would probably never. I would. I think about sometimes if I. Some kind of huge financial windfall. Would I get what? What kind of a car would I get? I think I would keep my old Toyota. I would hold on to it because really? I have no, I have no problem with my old Toyota. Right. It works great. It's uh-huh. a great car. Good. Okay. Yeah, I was curious because we've been. T- I mean, you know, being prolific today means albums, but people don't buy albums like they used to. So I'm wondering. Yeah. You know, most of the money's got to come from touring. And uh, I don't know if you just are constantly on the road or if these albums, which are great, by the way, we, we should mention Weird, which also came out recently, I think within the last year or so. Um, right. If you're getting enough of a return on your investment in these albums to keep you afloat, that and the touring, it all works out. I think it's a little bit of a myth that everyone makes a lot of money on tour. Mm. I oh, think it really, really? Yeah, it really depends. I mean, I have to keep it really simple and thrifty on tour there's a lot of a lot of expenses on the tour and i have to i have to keep it really i have to be careful so that i can mm-hmm. i mean i don't like i don't like talking about this stuff too much but no, that's okay we don't I, um, we don't have but, to get into it yeah i mean I like not curious. every not every artist is out there pulling in tons right. of money on the road right um also i i don't tour as much as some people because i it it just takes a lot out of me physically. Mm-hmm. I I hate that that is true, mm-hmm. and I I don't consider myself a delicate flower or anything like that. But mm-hmm. the fact is, I get the last couple of tours I did. I I went to England in 
May, and then I toured part of the states in June. And I, at the end of the English tour, I got really sick. Uh-oh. And then at the end of the tour, and then in the American tour, I got sick halfway through the tour, and it was just like really awful. I almost I thought I had. I thought I was having pneumonia or something. It was really, really bad. And I mm. and um, it took when I, when I got home, it took me uh, like a full month to get back to normal, full health. And it was kind of scary. Um, just like ca- I I couldn't stop coughing at night. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's physically pretty ravaging touring to me, and so I, I have to be really careful. Like I can't. I can't do it constantly, or I would yeah. die, probably. Yeah, I bet. I hope I'm not asking anything that was uncomfortable. I just find it interesting. For instance, um, last year I had Steve Kilby on here, the lead singer of The Church. Do you remember The Church? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and he, uh, they, the band, The Church, goes out on this big tour to celebrate uh, Starfish, the album, I believe, that that was... Or, I think that was on that album. Anyway, they go out on this big tour, and because it's big and it's all these other people, he doesn't make that much money. So he and his keyboardist, Amanda Kramer, go out on another tour, just the two of them in a car, an acoustic thing, and they throw their keyboard and the acoustic guitar in the back of the car, and they drive around. And I saw them in concert here in Denver, where I live, in this little um, like sandwich shop after hours. Uh-huh. And he was he made more on that little tour than he did on the big one with the band. And I just, the the financial, the revenue of it all is just really interesting to me how that all works. You know, you never know. Like you said, we all think rock stars are, you know, they're out there and they're living the high life and it just doesn't work. Well, the rock stars, the rock stars are, but I'm not a rock star, you know. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a working, I'm a working musician on the fringes. I'm yeah. not, I'm not a household name. I'm just kind of out there doing my thing and, and, there, when you do a tour of the band, there's a lot of people involved, and there's, I mean, there's not a lot. I don't tour with a lot of people, but there's people that mm-hmm. need to be paid, and there's, you know, there's, um, you know, hotels for everyone, sure. rental, van rental, and everything. So, gas, everything adds up. So yeah. it's not, it's not. Um, I'm not getting rich when I go on the road. Yeah, I'm just making. A, I'm trying to make a living. Yeah, I hear you. Um, okay, I want to ask you about some of your collaborations because uh, you've had some really excellent and interesting ones lately. I, let's start with the I Don't Cares. So I find this really interesting because after that uh, replacements reunion, Paul Westerberg, you know, the world is clamoring for supposed new replacements music and he kind of retreats and he puts out this little album with your with you. And, uh, I mean, the world wanted Paul Westerberg, and you got him.
No? No, I mean, the, no, you mean the world wanted Paul Westerberg and they got me tagging no, along. No, no, they. I just found it <laughs> no, so... No, I know what you're saying. You know, like the, everyone's clamoring for some of new Paul and he chooses well, to think, work with you. I don't think that he wants to give people what they want. I think... He, yeah, good point. I think, I think he enjoys um, being a rebel still. Yeah. He wanted to do this and and I think he was I, I was listening to a lot of stuff that he had recorded that no one had heard he had just like tons and tons of songs he had written and recorded that were just in his basement and he was I was listening to it and there was so much great stuff and I think he was just he was glad that someone was hearing it and appreciating it and he was inspired by that to write more and and to share some of that stuff that he had written, but I don't. I think he's just kind of skeptical of like the business, the music business, and people who want a piece of him. And he he's just. I think he's just kind of protective of. He knows there are a lot of sharks out there, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know. I don't. I really don't want to speak for him. Sure. But, I yeah. I don't know. I can't. Okay. I can't speak for him, and I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking, but I think that. He's. I don't think he's as inspired right lately to be yeah. writing songs. I think I maybe. I interviewed uh, his manager Darren Hill. It was it a mm-hmm. band, the Red Ro- Red Rocker? Red, gosh. Yeah, I know Darren. Yeah, Red Rockers from the Red anyway, Rockers. Yes, and um, he and I, he was saying something similar. I talked to him a couple of months ago, and he was saying how Paul apparently nowadays is really into painting. That's kind of his new creative outlet. But I wondered yeah. if you two went back. Are you two, were you two buddies before this? Why did he choose to collaborate with you? Nothing against you. Or just, he could have done anything. I was curious why you. You'd have to ask him that. I mean, he. I met. I've known him for a long time. I don't even remember where or when I met him, but it was probably like um, maybe like twenty years ago, maybe mm. when I first met him and. I don't know. He when we were hanging around, and he was just kind of inspired to make music. And I think I was maybe because I was digging through his old stuff, and I was helping to just get him to mm-hmm. care about music, music again. And then I like to I like to think I I inspired him to start painting too, because I I was doing a lot of visual art mm-hmm. when we were when we were um, hanging around, and that around the time of making the album and I he's kind of he has a lot of restless energy and and I told him I would keep telling him he needed a hobby he mm. needed a hobby he needed mm. a hobby and and then he started painting and mm. that was his, became his new obsession so I, I I'd wow. like to take credit Good. I'd like to take credit for that <laughs> do it that's great <laughs> but he had it in him he sure. definitely had he has just so much creative energy and he was not inspired to make music after we did the I Don't Care's record he was just sort of done for a mm. while and but he had all this restless energy and then I, I guess he after that he started directing it into painting and, but I haven't I haven't seen him in a while so okay. but I imagine him I imagine his house is full like to, 
piles and piles of paintings <laughs> that because he gets really obsessive about it i could see that i could see that uh for anyone who doesn't know this album's called the wild uh, called wild stab and it's great and um i just think for people who you know everyone loves the replacements and the, there's a finite amount of replacements music out there and this album's probably the next best thing plus it's really really good anyway um i also wanted to ask you about minor alps I uh, I love Not a Surf and Matthew Cause is one of the finest songwriters I can think of. And that's another yeah. that album of yours is great. I especially love I Don't Know What to Do with My Hands. Um, okay. which also of course showed up on one of your albums recently too. Hey gang, let me break in here for a minute. Plus I want to give you more time to listen to what one of my very favorite songs of Juliana's or Matthew's or Not a Surf's or anyone. Uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. I love this tune. And I love them together. Uh, anyway, I have a few things I want to talk to you about, but let's kick it off with some reviews. We're kind of on a roll here. I'm going back to Facebook. We haven't had an iTunes review lately, but um, we've had a bunch of Facebook ones that I haven't gotten around to, so I'm reading them now. Some of these have been around for a little while, but I want to say thank you anyway. This one's from Ken Drew, and uh, Ken is very important to us, let me tell you. He recommends The Hustle. The Hustle delivers some good knowledge and tends to go in a direction a little differently than from others. The guests seem to be, in general, from the era of music I like, so I often find something that I enjoy. I wish I could be on the interview for a few questions, but I did help John get to speak to Walter Ray of King Swamp, uh, Steve Eddie Rice from Eddie of the Tide, and Alex Call, who wrote 8675309, and have a few more of for him to investigate. Thanks for the informative podcast. Yes, Ken has been instrumental in helping us get those guys and is working with me on some others as well. So we owe Ken a lot. Thank you, Ken, for being such a bro. Gear Ayamo, I hope I'm saying that right, Gear. He recommends the hustle as well. I've only just begun, began delving into the archives of the Hustle podcast, but there are some excellent conversations with both musicians and producers I admire to be found here. I particularly enjoy some of the more obscure, for the for the general rock fan anyway, yet musically brilliant artists and bands that are covered here among more familiar names. Listening to the Hustle podcast has also seen me dusting off long-resting albums in my collection, as well as looking up others uh, only previously vaguely familiar or entirely new to me. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Gear. And as always, thank you for whenever anyone says guys, I take that to mean me and Yan, and that makes me really happy. So thank you. Uh, last one here, Valerie Carter recommends us. This is a great, first of all, ladies. Uh, we don't hear enough from the ladies, and I'm so grateful, grateful when we do. Thank you, Valerie. Uh, this is a great way to rediscover the music of the 80s and other decades, both for artists we loved and those that passed us by. However, it is not just a nostalgic wallow. John brings the career stories right up to the present day. So many artists covered whose music I knew, but whose stories I did not. The best thing about it may be the length, which allows great depth of exploration. The one on Rupert Hine, and nearly three hours long, was fantastic. Yes, that was long, and I am of the belief, sounds like you are too, that it was worth every second. I have bought albums by artists I never expected to, just thanks to this podcast. Yes! Thanks, John, and production th team. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you for thanking Yan, and thank you for listening to us. Um, I wanted to throw, I wanted to make you guys aware of actually some no's I've been getting lately. Um, so let me fill you in on a few. 
One, Billy Squire said no to me again. Now, let me preface, all of these went through their publicists or their handlers. No one directly gave me a no. It was their people who gave me a no. I've been trying to get Billy on here for years. I think you guys know that. Um, I love Billy. Eric Miller, our friend from the Pods and Sods Network, uh, met him about a year and a half ago and um, talked to him and said, would you be willing to come on me or my friend's podcast? Billy told him a no. I took that as gospel, so I hadn't even tried in a long time. But I thought, what the heck? Maybe I'll catch him on a good day. I did not. He gave me a no. Um, Jimmy Somerville of Communards, Bronski Beat, Solo. Jimmy turned me down recently, unfortunately. Um, I tried to get Tony Visconti on here. He just put out a new solo album, so I thought he'd be down to talk. And so I emailed his people, and uh, they turned me down. And unfortunately, those people uh, handle a bunch of other producers. For instance, I tried to get Hugh Padgham on here. I got turned down. I also tried to get a guy named Elliot Shiner, another producer on here. Got turned down for that one, too. So uh, no Tony Visconti. And you can imagine I'm bummed because that would have been a fun one. I also got a no yesterday from Ian Hunter, which bums me out. I've been wanting to, I've been thinking about getting Ian on here a lot uh, over the years because his name comes up so often. And uh, I was talking with a buddy of mine at work about him. And I thought, man, this has to be a sign. I'm going to fire off that email to Ian right now that I've been meaning to do forever. But I got a no. And lastly, I got a no from Steve Lukather. But it was a very polite no. As most of you probably know, they ju Toto just got off tour. And they've been on like this nonstop tour for years. And so he is taking a long and well-deserved break. I was told he's working on a solo album. I was also told that uh, this person that I was emailing with keeps a folder of all the requests they get like mine. And when the time comes, he dips into the folder and reaches back out to those people. Hopefully, I'll be lucky enough to be one of those people, okay? So anyway, those are the deals. I know a lot of those people I get requests for a lot. And I just wanted to fill you guys in on people who have unfortunately said no. On the plus side, I've been getting a lot of, a lot of yeses lately. Um... And some people that I'm excited about, and some, I got to admit, I'm kind of going back to the beginning of this podcast a little bit and uh, seeking out some of the more obscure people. They, they're they easier to find. It's easier, you know, they're easier to, it's better to go around the publicist if, at all possible if you can, just have some one-on-one -on -one interaction. So I'm kind of working on some things like maybe, you know, some one-and-dones, people who put out like one album and had a shot and it didn't work out, or people who had, you know, careers that never quite took off, but they worked with cool people or they were big in other countries or whatever. I'm kind of thinking about stringing together a few of those. There's one or two coming up in the next few weeks, by the way. So I hope you guys are cool with that. I love those kinds of stories. They're just as good to me often, um, but I hope you guys are okay with it. Lastly, I want to say one more thing. Um, this weekend, we should be putting out a very important bonus episode. Well, important. It's a bonus episode with an artist who's fairly big. I only got to talk to this person for 30 minutes. And so, um, it's, it, it'll probably be a bonus because it doesn't make sense to make it a full fledged Tuesday episode. So look for that this weekend. If you don't see it, something happened, something went wrong. Okay. Um, anyway, that should be, Oh, lastly, of course, please go on the, on Amazon and buy some merch. Why not? Right. Look up the hustle podcast, merch or t-shirts or pop sockets or sweatshirts or whatever you want to do go in there and buy one we would love it um yeah that's how you can best support the show at this point okay anyway thank you guys let's get back to juliana how did this partnership come together 
Uh, Matthew's another musician that I've known for a while and loved his music. I, I just I love his voice so much. Me I think too. he's one of the great one of the great singers that is singing right now. Yeah. Again, I don't really remember when or how I met him, but we yeah, I guess we both had this had some time. He had some time off from Not a Surf. Who they they tour a lot. They they when they go on the road to promote an album, they really go on the road. They go mm-hmm. kind of all over all over the place and they hit the road hard. Mm-hmm. But so he had this window of time, um, and we decided to try and write and record an album together. Mm. And. We were mutual fan, mutual fans of each yeah. other. Okay. And um, oh, and you know, leading up to the minor ups, we had, I had sung on something of his, I think, and he had sung. He sang on an album that I made called "How to Walk Away." He sang on that, and then okay. I made an album of covers. I love that album too, by the way. <laughs> the self-titled album of yeah. covers and. And he sang on that. Yeah, Fruit so Fly, we were kind of, right? You redid yeah. Fruit, Fruit Fly. So good. Yeah, and he, he, sang, he sang on um, the ELO song, Sweet as the Night. Mm. When the day is done and there's nowhere to run And the people of the city have all lost and won In your city dress, you stand and stare And you smoke another cigarette and comb your hair And the light... Shines, paints a trace of sadness on the street, and I wait, but I can't seem to get to you. Oh, you start to sway, shake your cardi, cause it's getting late, you can't afford to wait. So you move along where it's going on, and the people of the night are playing till the dawn and the sun. And then I sang on what God? What did I sing? I sang on um, a couple of not a surf songs, maybe a B side. I can't remember. Okay. But so we 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 really enjoyed singing together. So and we enjoyed each other's songs. So we made the Minor Alps record. Yeah. Then we toured. We toured also. Yeah. I um. Where do you live, by the way? I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You do. I yeah. didn't, I just realized it's Friday night your time. I'm sorry. I everyone I talk to is, no, like, is in is, LA, so I just assumed Friday it was an night, hour earlier. Friday night Friday night doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Every <laughs> night is the same here at <laughs> Chateau Hatfield. <laughs> we don't go out. 
<laughs> okay, okay. We, the royal, and by we, I mean the royal we. We right. don't go out. Okay, okay. Uh, the reason I ask is because I know he's relocated to Cambridge, England. So w- was the Minor Alps album one of those things where you're emailing files to each other, or did one of you, did you actually get in the same room? We did. I flew to Cambridge, England. I flew from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Cambridge, England to do some. We had a writing session there. And then he also had a place in Brooklyn. So I went down there. We did some writing there. And then he came to my place in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we did some writing there. So we worked on it for a while in different places. And then we ended up recording it in Hoboken. God, my memory is so bad, even a few years ago mm-hmm. we recorded in Hoboken I think okay <laughs> I want to might want to fact check that that's all right and yeah we were just kind of moving around meeting okay. each other in different different places okay to make it ha- to make it happen okay um I want to I want to ask one now look I'm sure you get asked about Evan Dando all the time we don't have to get into it I want the thing I did want to know since we're on the Topic of collaborations of yours. Tell us something about Evan Dando that we don't know. He's really well read. Is he really? I mean, maybe people know that, but he's he's read a lot of books and he's always reading something. And he's very he's just very knowledgeable about authors and um, books. I mean, fiction, nonfiction, history, hmm. literature, all kinds of stuff. Huh. Okay. I, uh, are you two still close? Is he doing okay? Did he relapse or something a year or two ago? I don't know. I mean, oh, okay. he's like, we're not, we don't have a lot of close contact anymore. I saw him briefly this summer and I think it was the end of July. I saw him very briefly when I went to Martha's Vineyard for a couple of days and he's, that mm. he's living down there, I believe. And mm. so I saw, I saw him with some other people and I don't know what drugs he's doing or not doing right now. Mm. I don't know. Okay. I was just curious. He's a great songwriter too. And I was wondering how he was doing. It's been off and on, unfortunately with him, you know, so he's a, he's a complicated guy. I could see that. (laughs) He's done a lot of drugs and I can say that because he would say that he's not, he doesn't lie about it. Um, generally Mm -hmm. he's pretty open about it. I think when I saw him, I guess I, apparently he had, gotten off heroin Mm. again i guess okay Okay. (laughs) he seemed he seemed lucid good um okay so he was we were all swimming in the ocean Mm. and chatting you know it was mellow nice okay okay just curious um not that you collaborated with this person but being in boston we just lost rick okasic did you know him at all or have any interaction i did not know him but one of my brothers who who lives in Colorado. Oh. You said you're in Denver? Yeah, I live in Denver. I have, I have a brother in Durango, and he, a long time ago, he lived on Marlboro Street in Boston, which is the back bay. It's like the kind of, kind of a nice, a lot of old brownstones. And he lived on Marlboro Street, which is this nice street of brownstones in the back bay. And he, he told me that when Rick O'Kesk died, he said he used to live next door to him on Marlboro Street, and he used hmm. to, they used to sort of nod and say hello to each other. Really? But oh. I know I never I never met him and I always had this fantasy that he would produce an album of mine, but yeah. sadly. 
That'll never happen. He would have been perfect for you. He was so good at that, like, lo-fi, garagey sound of, like, Weezer and Guided by Voice. You would have been perfect together. Oh, that's a shame. I know. I mean, I'm sad that, but I mean, so many reasons to be sad that he's gone. Sure, of course. That's one one personal reason. Yeah. But he, yeah, God, that first first Cars album is kind of Mm -hmm. maybe possibly my top ten, one of my top ten lists. Really? So good. Really? Do you, okay, then I have to ask, you brought it up, can you off the top of your head tell me what your favorite album of all time is? No, I don't think I have one. That's a, that's an impossible question, I think. Is it? <laughs> one, I mean, one album, I don't think so. I uh-uh. can't, I can't choose one. Huh. What's up there? What's in the running? I don't know. Well. You don't have that not, answer at the ready? Every music lover has those kinds of answers No, but the they're ready. just lying. They're just faking it to be cool. <laughs> okay. I don't, I mean, it, every album that I love is something that I loved at a different point in my life. Yeah. And, you know, I loved certain albums that I don't listen to anymore. Yeah. And God, I don't know. I can't okay. even answer that. I can't okay. answer it. Okay. All right. It's sometimes fun to dig into that. You know, I'm just, I thought the world would, might be curious to know what Juliana Hatfield's favorite album of all time well, I think, is. <laughs> I think everyone already knows that I loved you know, like I loved certain albums. People already know. I've talked sure, about okay. like Dinosaur, Dinosaur Junior. You're living yeah. all over me. Yeah, that was really okay. I was obsessed with that album at one point in my life, and I was obsessed with Nirvana's Bleach, Nirvana's oh, first yeah. album at one point in my life. Okay, REM's REM's first EP, Chronic Town. Mm-hmm. Nice. There's a whole bunch of them. When I was a kid, I loved this album called Soap Opera by the Kinks. And oh, I, yeah. I loved Queen's jazz album when yes. I was a kid. But I was a, I was a kid, you know? But who say, who's to say that needs to change, you know? Right. You know, I mean, the nostalgia of lo- of your love for that album may even make it more powerful today. I'm like that, you know? Hall & Oates are like my favorite out- band of all time. They haven't done anything new for a while, but it's because... The music meant so much to me as a kid that it makes it even more important today or more impactful. Yeah, today. and the, and they're 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 they hold up too. They yeah, don't they, do. they don't they've aged really well. Yeah, so okay. the, the stuff I loved as a kid, I, I I think that a lot of it still I still love it now. Like that that's true with Olivia Newton John. I still yeah. love that stuff now. Yeah, um, you. One of the things I like about you is how open you are about the stuff that you like and the people that that influence you and the music you're into. And one of the things you've talked openly and toured with even X being a big X fan. Yeah. I, I uh, what is it about X? Because I, uh, so I, I've always, I've always been kind of on the fence with X. It's like, okay, it's ramped up, up rockabilly. I get it. It doesn't, it's not bad, but it doesn't like provoke me or anything. But maybe two weeks ago, I saw them in concert with squeeze and it was my first time seeing them live, and I've always wanted to see them. Finally, got around to doing it, and they were great. And Billy yeah. Z- Billy Zoom is <laughs> the weirdest rock star I've ever seen in my life. Have you? I don't. I mean, yeah. he looks like a, he's just an old man, and he stands there making like funny faces at people the whole time, and acts like he doesn't even care. He sits. Everyone else is in like punk rock garb, and he's still in like his you know corporate. Corporate America attire, business casual attire, or whatever. It is yeah. so weird. Tell me why you he's like so X. He is. He's, why do you love X so, so much? He's so weird. 
He's Billy Zoom is so weird. For me, I think that I just really was really excited by Exene. That was part of it. Exene Cervenka was like a role model, an early role model for me, because she was weird too. Yeah. And I before Exene, there was like all I knew was like the pop divas and then the rockers, and there were not a lot of rockers. There was Chrissy Hind, Joan Jett. Chrissy Hind was amazing. She was she was great. I mean, the first Pretenders album was probably also. Mm. On my top ten, nice. and then there was like Pat Benatar mm-hmm. and and what? Or maybe she was she wasn't rock. She was pop. There was Olivia Newton John, Pat Benatar, Joni Mitchell, and then there was like Joan Jett mm. and Chrissy Hind, and and Exene was like this something else. She was just like I I really connected with her because she was so weird, and I thought like oh I'm weird too, and she's not a classically trained singer i mean i don't she doesn't sound like it she sounds like she she had this really kind of raw rough weird voice totally original style and look i mean totally original singing style and personal style and i just thought wow this is this person is unique she's she's carved out her own unique self and persona and i i just really loved that she wasn't taking on any cliches at all she was just herself and i and me i was a individualist i just loved that about her i felt it gave me confidence and hope that i could be my own self and i didn't have to try to give people Mm. anything that referenced any kind of uh um anything that had come before like Mm -hmm. you could just i don't know if i'm explaining this at all no i get it i get it yeah. But I I just thought she was really exciting as a as a as an object of a, as a front person. Yeah. And and she was like tough and cool. Mm-hmm. But she also wore, you know, she wore like dresses, but then she she and dresses and bracelets, mm-hmm. but then she would have on like these weird clunky shoes. She's <laughs> like really interesting. Yeah. And then the music was I loved the music because it was it was it was rocking and unpolished but it was also really melodic and the way that John Doe and Exene sang and mm-hmm. harmonized together was like these, these great melodies and harmonies and it was just it was kind of everything I loved uh, I but I didn't know that I needed them, and then mm. until they came along, and then I was like, "Oh, this is what I've been needing and looking for. This is just like I'm weird, and they're weird, but they're also <laughs> rock and I rock, but they're also poetic and yeah. and I I just really connected with them a lot. That's great. But I didn't know, I didn't understand what they were singing about because I they were singing about kind of tough adult stuff, and uh. I I couldn't re- I couldn't relate to that at all. I I didn't really care what they're. I was living this like very sheltered life in a small town mm-hmm. in Massachusetts and they were singing about you know LA the the gritty yeah. city <laughs> and so it's kind of weird that I connected to them so much but I just really connected to the, something yeah. in there and then we all have our things that was a very long answer and I, don't, I feel like I didn't explain it at all no that was, <laughs> no, that was great I, she, I, was I, a, she was a role model for me sure. I was a role model and I felt she was more accessible to me than someone like 
Pat Benatar, who seemed right. like a really far away creature yeah. of the main of the mainstream. Like I couldn't relate to her. I loved her music, but the things that she did in videos and on stage and with her voice seemed a little bit inaccessible to me. Mm-hmm. I, to- I totally get it. And I, I think, yeah. I think Xtine was like that for a lot of people. Xtine was like, like that for a lot of people. Yeah. She know? was like, she was no, she was no bullshit. You know, no. that's what I liked about her. She was no bullshit. She didn't pretend to be something she wasn't. She didn't put on air. She didn't smile for the camera. If she right. didn't feel like it. Right. Um, she was just herself. And there weren't she a didn't, ton she of, pretend. no. And there weren't a ton of other women coming out of the LA punk scene of the late seventies, you know, Maybe the Go Go's, but they sort of morphed into a pop act. You know, Exene stayed herself. That's I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to ask you about one other person that I know you've worked with, uh, Jeff Buckley. You guys toured together, I believe, early on in his career. You have a, that song about him. Try not to think about it. I, uh, I loved him, and uh, it was a huge loss for me when he died. Tell me a Jeff Buckley story. Jeff was really funny, like hilariously funny, and I, I don't know if people know that because his music was pretty mm-hmm. serious, and, mm-hmm. and people took him really seriously as an artist. I think they were, people were like, um, they, I think they, they, exalted him too much actually because mm-hmm. he was like they people treated him like a god and he was yeah. just a human being you know and mm-hmm. and he was very very funny he could do he could do incredible impressions of other singers like he could sing like chris cornell and edith piaf mm-hmm. and just like really sounding exactly like them and it was like um, Eddie Vedder, like everyone, it was really funny. He could be really funny. I mean, like oh. he did it respectfully. He would, he would impersonate other singers with respect and love. But it was just like, um, it was a talent, a talent he had. Yeah, I wanted to. Add, so let's talk about show business for a minute. The thing I have, my regular listeners know that I have a deep obsession with movie soundtracks. Uh, especially of like my you know formative years and you had spin the bottle on the reality bite soundtrack he's a movie star only drives around 
that soundtrack was huge. And sometimes I talk to people, like I, <laughs> I don't know if you'll care about this. I talked to Robert Tepper recently, who uh, had the song No Easy Way Out from Rocky IV. And that song's killer. And he makes decent money off of that, you know? And then there's other people. I talked to the Blow Monkeys, who had a song on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And they kind of got paid once, and that was the end of it. Did you get to enjoy any spoils of the success of the Reality Bites soundtrack? Not really, but okay. um, I did I did force them to give me a gold record. Because the, the soundtrack went gold. Um, so I, I was signed to Atlantic at that time, so mm-hmm. Atlantic got all the money, pretty much. But... Um, I mean, it, like, they got a lot of money, but so if you're involved with a gold record, you can request request one. So mm-hmm. since I had I had a song on the soundtrack, or maybe it went platinum. No, I think it went gold. Mm. So I made my manager demand a gold record. So they okay. sent me a frame, you know, one of those framed. Yeah. Maybe, I think it was gold record and CD in a frame. So okay. I had that stupid I had that stupid like um, artifact. But I wanted it. <laughs> I don't think that's stupid at all. I so I can say that I have, I can say that I have a gold record. Yeah. Or I was on a gold record, and I also have, I got a gold record for the Lemonheads. It's a shame about Ray. I also demanded that I, I demanded a gold record for being the bass player on that record. Nice. Too. Okay. Yeah. I, was I also ask didn't, about that too. didn't make. Also did not didn't make any money on that record either. Mm, okay. But still, you've got now. What what do you do with your gold records? Are they hanging? Up? I don't even know. I don't even know where it is. It's in a closet. It's a, it's shoved in a closet somewhere. I don't know why I even wanted. I think it was more just like a pride thing. Like you you have to give me one because I'm one of the songs on this gold record and I right. should have one. And so I don't know. I keep thinking if I ever have. Um, I was thinking like, oh, I can give it to my daughter someday or my granddaughter, but I'll I don't have any children and. Uh-huh. Um, or, you know, if I ever have a, if I ever buy a house, I can put it in the bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I am not, I'm not really a trophy or an awards show or offer. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not sure what I'll, if I'll ever show it to anyone, but I just, I just wanted it. Well, good. You just to say, it. you know, yeah. you can say if I ever need to, I don't know. If people who don't understand the business, I can say, oh, I have a gold record and I could show it to them. Yeah. Good. I would hope you for would. Their, for their entertainment and amusement, for other people's amusement. <laughs> right. Um, I used to work for Tower Records in the early 2000s. And um, we, uh, I was in the marketing department. And um, I got a gold record for the Killers debut album. Because uh-huh. it, it blew up, and I guess Tower was sort of instrumental, or so to speak, in helping that happen. And that's like one of my most prized possessions. Of course, I'm not yeah, a musician, you know, but it's fun, right? It's fun to get yeah. to be involved. Like you were involved, you were involved in that yeah. record's going, going, the going gold of that record. Yeah. And yeah, so I guess they can distribute them around as much as they want, I guess, for anyone who's involved. Probably. In- um, but so what do you do with it? Is it hung somewhere? Uh, that's a very good question. It was hung in my office until we moved a couple of years ago and I never put it back up on the wall, but talking to you right now, I realize I need to go get that out and display it proudly. You know, that's one of my yeah. like, fin- I'm most proud of that thing. If the house were to catch on fire, that would be one of the things I would go grab because it means a lot to me, you know? So anyway, I wondered if you had that kind of yeah. sentimentality. Um, 
I don't. I don't really. I don't. I don't get attached to things like that. I mean, I I won a bunch of Boston Music Awards once. Nice. And when I was living in New York, and they sent them to me, and they were these kind of like heavy, kind of uh, like glass things and solid bases with my mm-hmm. name and song inscribed in like a, a handful of them. And when I moved out of my apartment, I just left them in the closet because they were so heavy. I didn't want, I, they were so heavy and, it, and like, um, I didn't know, bulky and I didn't know what to uh-huh. do with them. So I let, and I feel, now I feel really bad about it because yeah. someone, there are people out there who like these, um, physical manifestations of like what do they call oh memorabilia there are people out there who really like to collect memorabilia i'm not one of those people but i feel like i could i should have saved them yeah i could have given them given them to someone um so i feel kind of bad about that but but i'm not i'm not a collector and i don't i don't care about memorabilia i don't care about guitars you know i don't i sold i sold most of my guitars because they were they're just taking out too much space um, I don't hold on to stuff like that. Okay. Okay. I but can, I feel, but I, I make the music. So I have, I have that. I have yeah. the, I have the music that I made and that's enough for me to have made it and to have it, it existing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. Um, all right. I can't, so I, on my list of questions to ask you is about the Lindsay Lohan song. You know, there's always another woman, always another girl. Like a dog in a cage or a bug under glass People point but don't touch But beautiful boys get away with so much They get away with murder They can be wasted and dirty and cruel Cause they know there's always another girl And I was curious yeah. if there was a story there. If you're tired of answering that question or there's not really an interesting story, we can skip it. But I thought that at the time, I thought that was a really interesting and kind of insightful thing to inspire songwriting. Um, and this was what? before really more of the meltdown. She was, she just, it was in a movie that bombed at like the height of her fame. And you wrote a yeah, song about is, it. This is interesting because, um, okay, what was the song? What was the movie? It was called. It was called. Uh, I know who killed I know, me, or something. Yeah, like that. I know who killed me. Yeah. I know who killed me, and and it was just like panned by everyone. It was like, oh, yeah. this movie's horrible. Mm-hmm. Lohan's like an embarrassment. This movie's horrible, ridiculous movie. But I saw the movie, and I thought she was pretty good in it. It was mm-hmm. interesting, and she. I thought she did a good job, and she mm-hmm. was, you know, acting, acting, and interesting, mm-hmm. and. It's like this thing that happens sometimes. Critics and people in the in the you know lay people and critics will just get on the bandwagon of a artistic project, and everyone 
will start saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is a bad movie. It's understood to be a bad movie. Everyone must think it's a bad movie. We must all agree. And I saw it for myself, and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then, so, I, yeah, I don't remember the timeline of her when she started to get in trouble mm-hmm. and stuff, but I wrote the song. It goes, um, people love it when a beautiful woman self-destructs. And that was what got me started. Like people just yeah. were pile were piling on to her when she was having her first with you know the movie and mm-hmm. calling calling her a bad actress. And then she, when she was having her troubles, everyone was just like piling on her, just um, really this horrible like yeah. um, scrutiny and. Well, it's a group think. Everybody likes, you know, it's a group think mentality, and everyone, especially, it's only worse now. You know this. Yeah, it's worse now. <laughs> you know, and and that she, you know, she she brought it on herself. I guess you yeah. know she did. Ultimately. she did a lot of she did a lot of dumb stuff. But she was she was a child actor, and that's not mm-hmm. that's not a good way to start your life being in the public eye. Yeah, and you know she was kind of screwed from the beginning because of that because of her early fame. Yeah, but the song wasn't. It ended up being about more than that. It became kind of a feminist yeah. statement or a feminist anthem, really, about mm-hmm. how women are belittled and pushed aside. Mm-hmm. There's always another girl, you know. Like you, yeah. in in every in every situation, in in work, in art, in relationships, you know, people are yeah. very easily just pushed aside and not taken seriously. So true. Um, yeah. And then I was just reading about another in the news lately. This the actress um, Megan Fox. Do you know her? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She was in. She was in a movie called. I think it was called Jennifer's Body. Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh huh. I never saw it. Was it, another, but I her. it was another movie that was pretty panned by everyone. A lot of people were like, "This is horrible." Megan yeah. Fox is horrible. But I I saw it and. I saw the movie and I thought she was really good and really interesting and it huh. was a really interesting movie and I didn't understand why it was not being appreciated and then yeah. um re- very recently um Megan Fox has been quoted t- talking about the reaction to it and how it really just like messed her up and she was it, it kind of damaged her psyche to, I believe to it. have have the movie be um, treated that way and have her performance be really misunderstood. And mm-hmm. So I get that. I understand that. Yeah. It's. A, do you think that that is uh, more, do you think that happens more often with women? Do you think it's a, do you think that her being female or do you think if it was, I don't know, some other hot male actor at the same time, would he have the same trajectory? I think it happens to men too, but I, I I think women are scrutinized in more in different ways and more harshly sometimes. Yeah. People and people are also more apt to keep piling it on if it's a woman, whereas with the, with a man, I think you can sort of brush it off and move on, and people forget about it. But women are, I think, women suffer more lasting damage from it to their reputations and their jobs. And I don't know. There's really a lot of misogyny out there. Um, it's just true there really is yeah 
and it comes out in those kinds of situations where people just pile on mm -hmm. and it's like people are it's as if they've been waiting for an opportunity to attack someone mm -hmm. and then when they get the chance they just jump at it with with um you know yeah. sal salivating and with hate such hatred and rage it's it's, mm -hmm. it's really weird but I think men can kind of men get it sometimes I'm, I'm trying to think of an example I can't think of an example but, um, can yeah, you? I don't know. I was thinking that same thing. The one one thing that did come to mind talking about this is how much fewer opportunities there are for women in Hollywood. You know, I mean, it's like ten percent or something. I think yeah. Davis just did a whole big research thing on this that there's just no, yeah, there's not a lot of women. So when you when you hamper a woman's career, that's that might be it forever. Yeah, because yeah. the the right, window of opportunity is so sl yeah. small. Because her career stops when she stops being hot. Yeah. When she's like, when she's 40, she's not hot anymore. So yeah. there's no work anymore. There's no work, work there's no um, more work anyway when she turns 40. So yeah. uh, I, I just thought of an example of a man, though. Um, you know the movie I'm Still Here, that fake yeah. documentary? Yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. This is another example. People... When people found out, well, first of all, when the movie came out, people were like, "What is this?" Uh -huh. And then when they found out it was, you know, you know, like it was a it was a faux documentary mm -hmm. about um, Joaquin Phoenix supposedly quitting acting and getting into um, being being becoming a rapper. A rapper. Mm -hmm. And um, so people were like, "What? This is so weird. What is mm -hmm. he doing? This is so weird and crazy." And then when they found out it was. Um, a put on like it was a fake documentary it, it was presented as a real documentary at first mm -hmm. and then when they found out it was a fake documentary people went nuts they were they they were so angry um it was bizarre but they were like they were hating Joaquin Phoenix yeah. so much mm -hmm. for doing this but look at him he bounced back he bounced right back he bounced yeah. and yeah. now he's people still love him and I mean I love him too but he didn't. I don't think he suffered much long-term yeah. damage to his career or his pro uh, opportunities. You know, yeah. suffers for maybe a couple of years. You know, smaller yeah. roles or indie movies or whatever, and then you build it back up. Whereas a woman yeah. doesn't really get that runway. You know, it's sort of a one shot, and then they're done. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <clears throat> Okay. Yeah. Well, look, I kept you for an hour. I have one last question. I want to know, and I can already tell, I don't think you're going to even answer this question because you seem really sort of nonplussed or disaffected by fame or I don't know how, I don't know if fame is the right word, but you are a professional musician who's put out a lot of music for over 30 years now that people really love. And um, what is your favorite story? When you sit in your apartment there or house or whatever it is in Cambridge, Massachusetts on a Friday night and you're not eating cheeseburgers because you're a vegetarian, and maybe you pull up a, a Lindsay Lohan movie or whatever it is, when you sit there and you're just thinking, I cannot believe the last 30 years of my life, what's the thing that comes to the comes top of mind where you're just like, I cannot believe that happened? <laughs> I had a feeling you would say that. I mean, what am I supposed to say? Well, I don't know. Did you ever meet a hero? Did you? Is it the spark of inspiration when you wrote a song or a really good show or something funny or whatever? I've met I've met a bunch of heroes Good. and it's really exciting every time. It's like yeah. um it's just to be seen as a person by mm. a childhood hero, it's yeah. pretty exciting. It's pretty interesting and 
Um, it's been interesting to get to know some some of those people too, because you they're just people. They're in, they're really interesting, complicated people, but they're people. And when you're young, you don't realize that they're people. They they're idols, you know. But they're they're heroes and they're idols, but really they're just people. And um, that sounds pretty dumb and obvious, but <laughs> it's yeah. not. That's no. I'm not telling you anything that no one doesn't already know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a specific story. I, I don't okay. know. I, okay. I mean, I have a whole, I have a lot of stories, but nothing too crazy or, or wild. Okay. Well, I, um, I'm not looking for dirt necessarily. I'm just wondering when you, you know, the most satisfying thing where you're like, you know, uh, Exine Cervenka uh, told me she liked one of my songs or just the thing where you're just like, man, that made it all work. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's a good right there. That reminds me of the time when I was, oh, oh, my band was opening for X mm-hmm. on a tour. Like that alone was pretty, a pretty spectacular yeah. experience for me. But then there was one night that Exine said from the stage, she was t- saying, she was addressing the crowd between songs, and she said something like, "She was just think, you know, like 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 a headlining band will do. They're just sort of acknowledging the opening band and saying thanks to the opening band." And she said that she respected me mm. from the stage. She said that, and I, that was just like. I remember I was I was standing by the by the side of the stage at the soundboard, watching. When she said that, I was over on John Doe's side watching, and when she said that, John looked over at me and smiled, and I just like put my hand over my heart, and I was like, oh "My God, this moment nice. is so great." Yeah, that's it's great. Beautiful. Good. Okay. Good. I'm glad you had that moment. Cause that, cause that's all I ever wanted. Really, was respect. When I I wanted, I wanted people to respect me as an artist, and mm-hmm. when a when one of my idols respected me, that was kind of the ultimate. Yeah, I can. Well, that's what everybody wants. I, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, look, thanks for talking with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet. There you have it, Juliana Hatfield. I hope you enjoyed that. Tons of great stories in there. She's so fun. Um, I want to close it out. We didn't give quite as much love to the Olivia Newton-John album as I would have liked. And uh, so I wanted to close it out with Xanadu, Juliana's version of Xanadu from that great album from last year. It's so much fun. And as I said, this Friday, Juliana Sings the Police comes out this Friday. Please check it out. It is a blast. I think you guys will really, really like it. Uh, anyway, thank you, Juliana, for doing this with me. I uh, Next week, we are sticking with the 90s again. This is three weeks in a row. We are talking to the front man for one of, I would say, one of the bigger bands of the 90s. They had a bunch of hits. It kind of cooled off near the end of the 90s into the 2000s. They're still out there. He's really the only person left in the band. Um, but carries on with that name. And he did still put, uh, recently put out a solo album. So that's a fun conversation too. If you love 90s alternative rock, you're going to want to come back for this. That's what we're going to do next week, okay? Now, a huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Yan the Man Makevich, for everything you do. Thank you, buddy, for being my partner in this. You guys know how to find us by now. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. We've been kind of trying to step up the activity on there, so we do these daily polls, and they seem to be pretty popular. So if you want to like or follow our page, you can get involved in some of the conversations and the debate and the discussion that goes on on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter. 
Twitter, at The Hustle Pod. Not overly active on Twitter. And sometimes I comment and I treat it as my own personal thing. So there might be some, you know, pol political stuff on there sometimes. I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, that's if you want to follow us, those are the ways to do it. Okay. And we have a very special bonus episode coming up this week. Uh, I hope you will check that out. Okay. Thanks, everybody. 